Psalm 137, let's read it together. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those carried us away captive, asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the days of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughters of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. Happy the one who repays you if you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that in the next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand what it is you have for us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, how many of you are glad? I say that every week, but I'm serious. How many of you are glad to be in God's house? Amen. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we went ahead and came on. Several people were asking me, what are we going to do? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? I'll tell you, it was a toy cost for churches in Woodward. Some did, some didn't. But based on all of you that are here, I'm glad we did. Praise the Lord. And so excited to start our year off the right way in God's house. This morning, we are going to start a brand new series um, that I've entitled Excess Baggage. Excess Baggage. I think that as we look at the end of 2021 going into 22, uh, we need to examine and evaluate some things that potentially we can leave behind so that it does not hinder us on our journey. How many of you would agree there's some things that you need to leave behind? Amen? Tough crowd today, I understand. Hallelujah. If y'all can't amen me in here, just give me a thumbs up on Facebook. Praise the Lord. We'll get it however we can take it. But there's a lot of things that we can leave behind in the old year. We can leave behind disappointment, discouragement, anxiety, anger, frustration. Um, all of those things that weigh us down and hinder us from reaching our potential. I love the way the Apostle Paul said it. He said, looking unto Jesus, pressing towards the mark. He uses these analogies. But one of them, I love what he says. He says, laying aside the weight. Everybody say the weight. And then he says, and the sin that so easily besets us. So he says, lay aside the weight. Then he says, lay aside the sin. Which tells me it is possible to have weight that isn't sin. Come on, somebody. It is possible to drag along some things in your life that are not necessarily sinful, but they are bad for you. And so we're going to begin to look at that over the next few weeks. But those of you who know me and know me well, uh, over the last 16 years, I have become an avid traveler. Uh, literally traveled in many, many nations. And I remember about 11 years ago when I first started going to Kenya, I was overwhelmed because before that, I had only traveled very small, short flights. And when you go from a three-hour flight to a total of a 23-hour flight, how many of you know that's a bit overwhelming? When you start juggling different airports and juggling different things and everything just kind of just is overwhelming to us. Well, 
I know that when you fly most international flights, whether it's KLM, which is Dutch, or Air France, or something like that, usually the baggage allowance goes something like this. You can have two full-size suitcases, which are, those are the great big ones. Uh, then, as long as they don't weigh over like 50 pounds each, then you can have a carry-on then you can have like a personal item, like a backpack. So usually what I used to do is I would carry my full allotment on everything. And so I would have two bags, two big size bags, one of them full of clothes, the other one full down with uh, sleeping bags, flashlights, machetes, batteries, anything you possibly can think of that you need on an African adventure. Pack it down full. Then I've got Spare clothes in a backpack just in case my stuff gets lost because that happens sometimes or it doesn't get to you just like you, you left it. Then I usually have my laptop and some other things back down there. And I'll tell you, it sounds great in theory, but it's extremely difficult when you're running through the airport. I remember being late for a flight one time, dropped off, and the air, airline literally changed, didn't they? They changed our flight. Usually you hear about them bumping them up and delaying your flight, but they actually moved my flight three hours early. Just so good, it's just a, such a good thing that we lived very close to the airport at that time. And uh, so all of a sudden, we were running there, and I was running, carrying everything. And at the moment, I realized this isn't a great idea. And as the years progressed, I realized it does not take all this to travel. There are some things that I can live without. Uh, I realized once I got there a few times, you know, you're afraid that, hey, if I go to Africa, they're going to make me eat monkey meat. And I'm going to starve for two weeks. And so what do you do? You pack nuts and you pack, you know, beef jerky and peanut butter. And you got all these things and you, you can feed a small village by the snacks in your bag because of the uncertainty of what you may eat in a foreign strange land. And, and I realized, look, I'm not going to starve. I don't need 16 pairs of clothes. Come on. I don't need all of this stuff. I can decompress some things and get some things together so that I can cut at least half of my weight. And so now when I travel, I go with a backpack, a small carry-on, and if I'm going international, maybe one big bag and that's it. And you know what I found out? It's much easier to navigate the busyness of the airport with a lighter load. And you know what? I know we're talking about airports and travels and things of that nature, but let's get off of that subject for a moment. What about life? What about the busyness of life and we've got family and friends and church and careers and college and all of these things that we've got to do. And I tell you, we pick this up here and we pick this up over there and all of a sudden we are weighed down, the Apostle Paul says, with the cares and burdens of this life. And the next thing we know, we are slow, lagging behind and wanting to quit. But the truth is, my friend, there are some things that we can leave behind. And today, I want to talk to you specifically about defeating discouragement. Defeating discouragement. I don't want to ask a question where everybody raises their hand today, but if I were today, experience tells me that if I asked who all have ever been discouraged in this room, all of us would raise their hand. We've all been discouraged. Courage means to be full of uh, uh, courageous, full of heart. Discourage means to have a, a loss of heart, a loss of exuberance. You're beaten down. Uh, you don't feel like you can do anything. And life has just kind of overwhelmed you. That's why today I want to talk to you about being discouraged. You know, we can be discouraged by failed relationships. 
I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to through the years who they've been in a long-term relationship with somebody that they're not married to. And I say, well, goodness gracious, you've been together for seven, eight years now. Why don't you just, yeah, but you know, I, I've been married before and that didn't work out. And, 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 and they're just discouraged to ever try another relationship. Or there's discouragement by failed business attempts. True story, back at the, the turn of uh, yeah, the early, two, like 99 to 2000, remember when the world was supposed to end? There was a businessman that had invested a lot of money into a, a certain stock, a certain computer business in China. He was a billionaire, and he invested everything thinking that Y2K was going to make him a bunch of money. And this man tragically ended his life with suicide because all he had left was $550 million. Some people say, man, I'd backslide if I had $550 million. I'd like to try. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, that's a lot of money. But he was discouraged because of his failed business attempt. Some people are discouraged by workplace situations. Maybe you didn't get the promotion that you were set up to get. Or maybe your boss is being unfair, unjust. Maybe there are people that are discouraged by family situations. Unable to right the wrongs between siblings in a family. And, uh, or maybe it's spouses going through issues. Maybe your son or daughter has come home with a decision that is contrary to how you've raised them. And now you say, Lord, I've done everything I know how to do. And now I'm discouraged and I just want to give up. I'm going to tell you, the list goes on and on and on. And I'll tell you, just being transparent, even I, as a pastor, I've, I've had seasons of discouragement. I would be lying to you. People think pastors float on, on clouds and play harps all day and, you know, and everything is peachy. But there are times of seasons of discouragement. Sure. There are seasons in Blondie and I's ministry where we had not seen somebody for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're calling them, you're texting them, you don't see them. And then all of a sudden, you bump into them in Walmart. And you found out they've changed churches. And they're not coming back for this reason or that reason. And you say, well, Pastor, you know. But yeah, when you've done their wedding, when you've buried their dead, you've dedicated their babies, and they don't even tell you goodbye, Sure, it gets discouraging. It absolutely gets discouraging. It gets discouraging at times where you prepare and more people would rather watch online than come. It does. I'm just being honest. The point that I'm trying to make to you this morning is that discouragement comes to everybody in all seasons of life. The question is, how do we deal with, and more greater of a question, how do we defeat discouragement in our life? The truth is, Discouragement can and it will come, but if we don't deal with it the proper way, the consequences will cost us way more than what we want to pay. I heard a story some time ago. You know, this is actually kind of a funny story because when my boys were littler, they, they really probably don't remember this super well. We were pastoring in Louisiana and uh, we were living in this little rent house and we went to the little pet smart and there were some birds. And we had this little singing blue bird and we had a little green yellowish bird too. And, and the bird died one day. I came home and the bird was dead. And the kids were like in first, second grade at that time. And I said, oh God, 
What am I going to do? The birds are dead. And I don't know if they, they were, came from a bad, you know, a bad batch of them. They had some kind of virus or something. You know what I did? I'm not even going to lie to you. I went and got two birds that looked just like them. I did that twice before they ever found out. But this story that I'm going to tell you something reminded me about this blue bird because those birds would just chirp and chirp and chirp and chirp. But think, one thing I learned about birds is they make messes. Oh my goodness, birds are messy. Worse than a cat is a bird. Birds are just throw stuff everywhere. And I heard a story one time several years ago about this woman who had this little singing bluebird. This bluebird just chirp, 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 chirp all, all, all morning, all evening would just sing a song. And she would talk to the little bird. The little bird would talk to her, whatever. She'd put bird seed in his cage. And, and one day she came home after a long day work, and the bird was singing its song. And the bird had taken bird seed and just strewn it all over the house. And so frustrated and upset, she says, well, you know, little birdie, why did you do that? And she went in the closet, and she got a, um, a, a, a wet vac, just a big old canister vac, and she got that cage open and she said now hold still little bird and the bird just chirping up a storm and she clicked on that vacuum and all of a sudden just whoo just quick as she could realize what happened that bird got sucked right up into that canister so she reached up real quick and turned it off and she said oh god I've killed it so she twisted the canister and she opened it up and then all of a sudden that bird is there and that bird is shaking the bird is is not dead at all but he's not saying anything. His eyes are big. It's got lint and dust and everything from dog hair and everything else on it. And the bird is sitting there just petrified. So what did she do? She dusted the bird off and she put the bird back in the cage. And, and the story goes that the bird never sang again after that. I wouldn't either. But let me tell you something, friend. Just like that, life sometimes can suck the life out of us and steal our song. Life in just a moment can suck the entire joy out of our heart if we're not careful and cause us to say, you know what? I'm not going to sing again. I'm not going to live again. I'm not going to do what I've been created to do. We've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. A bad phone call, a doctor's report, a layoff, a tragedy in the family. That's exactly where the children of Israel found themselves in Psalm 137. And I want to go there with you again this morning. Turn there with me. The Bible says that by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. We remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willow trees and in the willows in the midst of it. For there were those who carried us away. They asked of us, sing us the song. And we said, how can we sing a song of Zion? How can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign, strange land? Church, I want you to know this morning that Psalm 137 paints a great picture of discouragement. The children of Israel were in captivity because many of Israel had gone the way of idolatry. And the Scripture speaks of them going into Babylonian captivity and the temple being destroyed the first time as a bit of judgment. That doesn't mean that every person in Israel was bad. That doesn't mean that every person in their land was an idolater. But you know, the Scripture does say that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And they found themselves plundered, enslaved, taking from their place of comfortability into a place 
of isolation, of strangeness. Different culture, different sound, different song, different language. Everything is different. They find themselves in a place called Babylon. And they are marching them down through there. Just like we saw uh, years ago when in the disparaging uh, age of slavery in America. Or what we've seen in history where they chained them together so to speak. And were whipping them and beating them. And as they sang their songs. It, well, that's the picture that I get in this. And these people are, are asking. Would you sing us one of those songs? We heard you sing. We know you got a good voice. And here the Bible says they got to the rivers of Babylon, and they began to cry. Why did they cry? Because they began to remember Zion. Zion is another name in the Scripture for Jerusalem, the people of God, the place where God's presence abides. They began to remember what it used to be like when we were in Zion. And do you know something? When you're in a bad place... And you feel like there's no hope. And you start to remember the blessings that used to flow in your life. You start to remember how everything was good and how God was there and, and every need was being met. And, and there the presence of God was. And now you find yourself in a place isolated and separated and set apart, not in a good way, but for the purpose of your captors to abuse. How many of you know that can cause discouragement it was from a place of desperation that the psalmist wrote there we hung our harps on the willow trees and we stopped singing our song because of their discouragement folks today I don't know who I've come to talk to today but I've come with an assignment from the Lord to break the back of discouragement off of your life I believe that there's somebody here today that you have been listening to the lies of the enemy and you see that there is no hope and the enemy's boxed you into a corner and you, all you can think of is what used to be but you can't see the hope or of a brighter future or tomorrow. I'm here today to tell you weeping may endure for a night but joy does come in the morning. God has a plan. Come on, give the Lord some praise right there. we got to ask ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves the question this morning. Number one, where does it come from? Where does discouragement come from? See, the thing we have to understand is discouragement means a loss of heart. Uh, a loss of heart. Discouragement absolutely, positively never comes from God. God, the Scripture calls Him the God of all comfort. And the word comfort in that language means encouragement. So God doesn't bring discouragement. So where does it come from? There's only one of two places. Discouragement either comes from the enemy or it comes from our mind or our mental state. This is why we have to guard our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 6. I know you have read this passage before. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Watch this. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
Listen, uh, the enemy can not read our mind, but what he can do is he can fire wicked arrows to us. He can fire thoughts of hopelessness. He can fire thoughts of despair, discouragement, anxiety, worry, fear, you name it. He can do all of those things, and, and discouragement happens when we begin to dwell too much on the negative and not enough on the positive. And what happens is at that moment uh, is that those thoughts begin to come. And if those thoughts are not dealt with, my friend, they will take you to a dark place. They will take you to a dark place. You say, Pastor, that will never happen to me. I'm, I'm godly. I'm walking with Jesus. Talk to John. Talk to Moses. Talk to Elijah. There are a lot of people who are mightier than a lot of us in this room today who went through the same or worse with discouragement and despair. But I'm glad to know the Scripture says there's a way out. And I love how Paul says it. We've got to bring every thought into captivity. I love how one writer, Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, said it like this years ago. He said, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can stop it from building the nest in your hair. You know, you can't, you can't stop a bad thought from coming. But if you begin to dwell on it and you begin to give it cadence in your life, guess what happens? Then it begins to build. And whatever you magnify, whatever you focus on, you're drawn to. I'm learning motorcycles right now. Y'all help me. It's not a midlife crisis, I promise. It's just fun. But they teach you, in order to not crash, what you got to do is look in the direction you're going. Because whatever direction you look in is what you're drawn to. Ask Lot about that. When him and Abraham parted, ways. Lot, Abraham went one way and Lot said he looked towards the pleasant plains of Sodom and the next thing you see is Lot inside the gates of Sodom. Whatever you look at is what you're drawn to. That's why we can't allow thoughts of worry and discouragement to stay in our heart. We cannot keep them from coming but when we do we must cast them out in the name of Jesus. You have to take authority over them be honest with you, the church talks a lot about physical health, and I think we understand we believe in healing. We talk a lot about spiritual health, but to be honest, the subject of emotional or mental health is taboo in church a lot of times. But we are a tripart being. We are body, soul, and spirit. And discouragement oftentimes roots itself up and nests itself up in your emotional realm. Emotions are great servants, but they're terrible masters. And until you learn how to master your emotions or your soul or your thoughts, you'll make irrational decisions that you cannot change once you've done them. So we understand, where does it come from? Number two, when does it come? When does it come I want to tell you something. The devil is not near stupid as we make him out to be. Now, he's dumb. I mean, he, how do you get kicked out of heaven? But he is an absolute opportunist. The Bible says, be wise as a serpent, yet gentle as a dove. Can I tell you something? You never know what a serpent's planning until you're bitten. It's too late. He doesn't reveal everything out in the open. He lays in wait until the opportunity comes to strike. 
And I'm going to tell you, the, the devil is an opportunist. He doesn't come at just every whim in life. He, he doesn't know our thoughts. He doesn't know our hearts. But he does hear our words and understand what we say. And, and he is a spiritual being, so there's some aspect there to that. But he does come at certain times. He's an opportunist. Here's, here's one thing. It, discouragement comes when we're worn out. When we're worn out. Talking to a bunch of pastor friends right now on Tuesday nights on a little small group about how important it is to get rest at night, to sleep. Why? Because if you get worn out in your physical man or in your spiritual man, then the next thing that happens is a breakdown in your emotional man. Come on. All of the cylinders have to be clicking on the same thing. you got to take care of the whole man, the spirit, the soul, and the body. But discouragement comes oftentimes when we're wore out, when we've worked our finger to the bone, when we burn candle at both ends, when we feel like we've given more than we've received. That's when it happens. It comes when we're worn out. But it doesn't just come when we're worn out. It also comes when we're weighed down. It also comes when we're weighed down. All of a sudden, you pick up this and you pick up that and Oh, I'm, I'm over here and I'm picking up this. And all of a sudden, we've loaded ourselves up with things that God never told us to pick up. If you were here Wednesday night, we talked about seeking God first, seeking the kingdom first. Then He'll add things to you. How many times do we just jump and ask God to catch us instead of, instead of asking God, what is it that you're blessing? What is it that you want me to be involved in? We just start picking up stuff and then we say, oh God, help me. God never asks you to pick up the burden of that. He never asks you to pick up the weight of that. But when we get weighed down, then we begin to feel like, well, I'm the only one doing anything. I'm the only one that, that cares. All of these things. And then all of a sudden, this disappointment and discouragement latches on like a viper. It also comes when you feel written off. When you feel unheard. When you feel like you're patronized, when people aren't listening to you, when you feel like you're the last to be picked, it can be discouraged. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever been the kid last picked on the, on the football team or the baseball team or the t-ball team? I have. You feel like, what's the point? Here's a note for you. Discouragement can root in so deep that people literally feel like there's no hope. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to bring you to a place where you feel like there's no hope. Here's the third thing, and I hope you're listening this morning. What does it bring? What does discouragement or disappointment bring with it? What does it bring with it? Because it always brings friends with it. Look at Numbers 21, verse 4 through 5 with me. Turn over in your Bible. I want you to see that this, this passage is important for you to see with your eyes. Numbers 24, or 21, rather, 4 through 5, reads like this. It says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. This is the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. He says, And they came to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very what? Discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against Moses and against God. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. 
Here's why we have to get rid of discouragement. You ready? Because with discouragement, it always brings a critical spirit. When you get discouraged, your mouth starts working in a wrong kind of way. And here's the thing. If you can't get a hold of discouragement in your life, you'll begin to see everything through a filter of disappointment, and then your mouth will begin to spew out terrible things. And the bad thing about having a critical spirit is that when you say things, things cannot be retrieved back once they have been said. You can say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't really mean that. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your tongue, your vocal cords are an extension of your spiritual and emotional man. And the things that we say, listen, oftentimes come to the surface when we're discouraged or disappointed. And they can often be critical. I want you to notice this. Moses was minding his own business. Moses wasn't at seminary trying to get first pick to be the preacher of Israel. He was just being faithful. He was just like, you know, tending his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. And all of a sudden, a bush catches on fire and, and there's this encounter with God. And, and God says, I hear the cries of my people. I want you to go set them free. And you know, Moses has this pity party. Oh God, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Blah, blah, blah. Who will I even say sent me? And so God equips him and sends him. And Moses risks his life and risks comfortability, leaves what he knows and goes into Pharaoh, causes the, the, the children of Israel through the miraculous signs and the plagues to be set free and journey through the wilderness. And then they don't like the direction that they're going. And they forget quickly that it was God who brought them out. They forgot quickly that it was Moses who sacrificed to even get them to the place that they were. And here's what I need you to know. A critical spirit will have you say things uh, towards people that wound them and hurt them. Folks, you need to know something today. Your words are like a, likened into water or gas on a fire. Uh, water can put out a fire or gasoline can embolden a fire. When a person is discouraged, disappointed, or angry, or insert X, Y, Z, and they begin to say things that, that uh, are, you know, are just flippant or not thought out, they can either cause a situation to just blow up out of hand, or it can cause it to be contained. So listen, when you're discouraged, you have to be careful not to have a critical spirit. Here's another reason why you have to be careful about allowing discouragement into your life and disappointment. Because not only does it bring a critical spirit, but it also brings disillusionment. Disillusionment. This scripture right here just blows me out of the water. Go back to our passage, Numbers 21, and look back at verse number 5 with me. Just verse 5. Notice this. And the people spoke out against God... And against Moses, are you watching this? He says, um, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? And if you're reading the notes, I've made some highlights and things that are me. They're not from the scripture, but they're what I want you to emphasize. Look at this. He says a statement here. He says, for there is no food. Everybody say no food. Now, I don't know about you, but everywhere I've looked, no means no. Nothing. 
There is no food and no water. We are going to starve out here. But notice this, and our soul loathes this worthless what? Let me ask you a food. Is there no food or is there bread? Is there no food or is there bread? See, discouragement will have you disillusioned. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Nobody likes me. That's not the truth at all. The children of Israel were being provided by God supernaturally even while they were dogging Him. He was giving them food, manna in the morning and in the evening and double on the sixth day. He was giving them everything, but their mind was so messed up they can say, man, I just, you know what? One person get discouraged in church. Nobody in that church is nice. Oh, my God, everybody's mean. No, not everybody, just one person. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm preaching good now. I'm going to keep drilling until I strike oil. I'm telling you, when you get discouraged or disappointed, the enemy magnifies the problem. God's giving you manna in the morning and in the evening, putting it on the ground for you, and now all of a sudden, was ah, there ain't no food out here. I don't like this. Disillusionment is dangerous. Because when you become disillusioned, you begin to accuse God and accuse others of things that's simply not true. The Bible calls that bearing false witness against your brethren. Not only does it bring disillusionment, let's go a little bit further, but discouragement, disappointment can also bring thoughts of death. In 1 Kings 19, verse 4, here we have a powerhouse man of God. Elijah himself says, but he went into a day's journey in the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Now, for years, I've preached that Elijah was suicidal. Now, reading that, I don't think that. The Bible doesn't say that he attempted or tried to, to take his life, but he had gotten to a point of discouragement and disappointment and depression that he didn't want to live anymore. What does the Bible say? He got up under a tree and went to sleep. I know people like that. They go through depression. They don't want to get out of bed. Sleep all day. Won't answer the phone. Won't answer the text. Won't answer anything. Sleep, 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 sleep. Why? Discouraged. Disappointment. Elijah just called down fire from heaven. He just saw Jezebel's prophets be destroyed. And I mean, you know, they're having this shouting match on top of Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And he's saying, let the God who's God answer by fire. I mean, they took a bull and sacrificed and wood and they dug a trench and put water in it and all of these things. And heaven opened up and there was a crispy bacon barbecue right there on top of Mount Carmel. Then he gets down and says, I'm the only one. Disillusioned. Disillusioned. Unchecked. Bring thoughts of worthlessness, death, and worse, suicide. Suicide. So many people over the last several years, even believers, have taken their own life. 2020 brought many of those, even pastors, Terrible, tragic. You say, how in the world could a person ever get to that place when you don't deal with some of these things? That's what happens. 
So the fourth thing is, are you still with me? In closing, number four, how do we overcome this? How do you overcome it? There's a couple things out of this passage that I saw. It's a couple things. We need to go back with me to Psalm 137 quickly. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept and we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willow trees and the, and the willows in the midst of it. Those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. Notice this. These people, when they, were, when they came in to Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, they bound the people and they took them as slaves into Babylon. These people literally took their harps with them, which meant they intended to keep playing. They intended to keep singing. Let me tell you, life is paved with good intentions. But how many of you know, things happen along the road of life that beat us down and detour us and try to steal our song like the little blue bird with the vacuum. And that's what happened. The children of Israel, they sat down by the rivers of Babylon and they began to think about, oh God, how perfect it was, how awesome it was in Jerusalem. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember when we sang in that choir? Don't you remember when we, we would take our harps and we would play our parts and, and this one would sing this part and this one would sing that How beautiful it was. And now we're at the rivers of Babylon and, and we're looking at these people. And, 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 and so you know what they did? They took their harps and they hung them on the willow trees. When they were discouraged, their first thought was to stop serving. To stop serving. I'm talking to somebody right now. You're discouraged. And the enemy says you just need to hang it up. I'll tell you that's not the right thing to do. You know why? Because discouragement does not last forever. And there are decisions that you can make while you're discouraged that you cannot go back and unfix. Yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, there's grace. But there are some things that when you pass them by simply is not able to go back and fix those things. So don't make a permanent decision in a temporary place. Discouragement. Don't stop serving. Everybody say, don't stop serving. Don't stop serving. Don't stop serving. Then he said, we hung our harps upon the willow trees and they said, sing us a song. And they said, how can we sing a song of Zion in a strange land? So the second thing, that they, the first thing they did was they stopped serving. They hung up their harps on the willow tree. And the second thing they did was they said, we're not going to sing anymore. And I want you to know something this morning. That the enemy, whenever he is working his path of discouragement. Anybody remember the, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? We all just got done with that at Christmas. You may have watched it, you may didn't. Okay? The angel, you know, there's a, there's a statement, Clarence, and you know this, uh, the other angel, and it says, hey, there's somebody on earth that needs help. And they said, is, they, is he sick? He said, no, worse, discouraged. <laughs> Discouragement's one of the biggest tools in the devil's toolboxes. But you know what? Get in your mind. Get you to stop. Get you to stop singing. You know, we're supposed to be like that bluebird. A song always on our lips. A 
bless you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Always thinking about the goodness of God. Always thinking about the, the, the way that He blessed you and raised you and saved you and, and set your feet on a rock. Always thinking about those things. But the enemy comes in and gets you to stop serving and stop singing. And friends, let me tell you something. If He can get you to stop serving and stop singing, He's got you right where He wants you. So how do we overcome it? First thing I tell you, don't stop. Don't stop serving. Don't stop singing. Here's the second way you overcome it. Don't forget. Don't forget. They said, Lord, if we forget Zion, may my right hand forget how to play my instrument. And may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. When you're in a place of discouragement, one way to overcome that is to begin to overwhelm your mind with the goodness of God. You know, friends, I'm reminded this morning about David. David was a king, a great king. But unfortunately, David had an enemy, and his enemy's name was Saul. Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. The people tend to like David more than they like Saul. And the little girls came out singing. Saul has slain thousands, but David, whoo! That ruddy boy, ten thousands. Saul was emboldened with rage, tried to kill him, ran David into the cave of Adullam, and, and, and all of these things. You know, David's life is like terrible because he, he just, he can't, he's just anointed. He's just, he wasn't trying like Moses to get in the spot. He was tending sheep, and the prophet came and was like, hey, you're needed at the Father's house. Because he was in the right place at the right time, God anointed him and blessed him. And now he finds himself in chaos. And the people are at war. And Ziglag had gotten burned. And all the women and children were taken captive. And everybody that was praising David one moment, like Jesus, triumphal entry, the next moment they're saying, crucify him, stone him, get us another leader. The Bible said David was sorely discouraged. Because sometimes as a leader, there's nobody to pat you on the back. But what does the Scripture say? He encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, sometimes when you're going through trials, thank God for the friend, thank God for the phone call. Let me tell you, I'm just being honest with you. Some of the darkest places in our life, our phone never rang. Nobody. Nobody. You know what it's like? to be there for everybody else through every whim and circumstance of their life and then you go to try to talk to them about it and all they want to talk about is their problems you feel like you've given it and what do you do you just have to reach down somewhere on the inside with some intestinal fortitude and pull up some encouragement like David did because at that moment he made a choice I can stay right here where I am or I can encourage myself in the Lord right now I'm going to choose to remember his victory I'm going to choose to remember his deliverance and I know it doesn't look good right now but my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or even think right now. So I'm not going to make a choice to stay in this place of despair. I'm going to choose joy. David began to dance and encourage himself. 
Friend, if you're in a place of discouragement, don't stop serving. Don't stop singing. Don't stop remembering. Don't forget what God has done. You've got to remember His promises. You've got to remember His character. 